Well, greetings and welcome along to the Engineering Dreams Space show. Uh, today we have the privilege of talking with Emmeline Pat Dolstrom. Welcome along to the show, Emmeline. How are you? Kiara, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's fantastic to have you here. And uh, look, a, a real privilege. I think you know, any time I get to interact um, with those who are involved in the space sector, I think uh, is a privilege, and uh, especially those uh, operating uh, down under across Australia and, and New Zealand. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, because you've been involved in the, the, the space uh, sector for, for decades across many, uh, many different areas. How did, uh, how did you get involved in this whole world uh, of space, Emmeline? So I started out, I mean, I'm Filipino um, and I kind of like moved around uh, in four continents before immigrating to the United States maybe about 25 years ago. And then I moved to New Zealand about four years ago under the Edmund Hillary uh, program. Uh, my background's in physics and space science, um, and but I really uh, worked more on program development operations, um, executive management, uh, space education for about three decades, uh, and then also, also working for space startup companies, uh, specifically in the U.S., um, ranging from you know, space tourism to uh, uh, startup companies that are vying to basically land on the moon and, and, um, and operate rovers uh, as well on the moon. I've also worked quite a bit on uh, space education, so the International Space University, um, also was space lead in Singularity University as well, and uh, really just uh, have been working in the new space sort of like ecosystem uh, for quite a bit um, over the past uh, three decades. And my passion uh, really is in the democratization of space, and I can I can elaborate on on, on that. But the premise here is that um, if we really think that space is the next frontier, um, we want everybody to to be part of that uh, global space economy. Um, mean not just the big spacefaring nations, but also everybody from uh, emerging and developing nations. So my focus is to make sure that the rest of the world actually gets that those benefits and opportunities. Fantastic. And what was it that first, um, you know, pulled you in and, and drew you to um, to getting involved in in the world of space and and the new space area? So from a very young uh, age, I've really been interested in space. I was born during the Apollo era. So when uh, we were basically landing uh, humans um, in, uh, on the moon and way then also I grew up with Star Wars and Star Trek. I And the visionaries like Arthur C. Clarke, for example, um, wrote a book called uh, The Challenge of the Spaceship um, back then. And I was, I think, about 12 to 14 when I read about it. And he was talking about, you know, space stations and um, living uh, off planet and the uh, satellites. And when he wrote that book, uh, that, you know, that wasn't even a reality yet. Um, and so just like thinking about all of those things, I want that future and I want to be part of that future. 
And so that was really amazing that, you know, like 10 years after that, I actually uh, got a scholarship to go to the International Space University uh, in France. And he was the chancellor um, of that um, university. If I were to talk to my 20-year-old um, uh, self, I would never have imagined where I would be today um, back then because there was just no, there was not, there's not a lot of opportunities, um, especially in the Philippines uh, at, at that time. But yeah, I, I've been passionate about space. And for me, I had to figure out like a way to get to where I'm like where I'm interested in. And, and at least back then it was only physics. Um, we didn't even have aerospace engineering um, uh, back, uh, uh, back then. So I, I knew I had to go and, and do a physics degree, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long journey, um, but uh, it certainly is uh, interesting to be now working in kind of like, a dream that I've had since I was a kid. Oh, that's um, yeah, it's it's incredible. And who were your influences? Were there were there other um, you know uh, folks from uh, from Philippines that you looked to? Was it very much sort of looking at uh, the US and other parts of the world? Were there uh, women that were sort of excelling um, that you were able to to look to for examples, or, or were there were there other people that you um, you know that that you followed? So, uh, yeah, I, I got kind of like most of my inspiration, I guess, through books and, and movies coming from the Philippines. Um, and then when I got to, um, when, I, when I attended the International Space University, um, the three founders, which included Peter Diamandis, um, and Peter Diamandis was still even... Uh, a grad student when when they when they started the the institution and during the first uh, year you know they 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 got over a hundred uh, students from all different countries um, countries that would normally not actually even talk to each other uh, you know Russia China um, so um, I think his his vision of where um, he thought the the like the space industry should be is kind of what propelled me to really focus on new space um and in a way i've my career kind of like followed um his journey as well because i i i worked for several of his startup companies so i uh, i worked for for the international space university or isu as well during the founding years um and then he also recruited me to work for Space Adventures. So Space Adventures back in, so this was back in like 1998, uh, uh, 2000, um, was really the very first space tourism company that can claim that they've actually sent, you know, private paying passengers and, and citizens to space. Um, back then, you can only do it through the Russians. 
Yeah, this is an incredible story. So, yeah, tell tell us about yeah. about that. Um, you know, w- what was the beginning of space tourism like? Because I think many people think that space tourism is just you know is is just starting now. Um, but but you've got the real story yeah. on this, right? So I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so it's interesting that yeah, space tourism uh, started over twenty years ago. Um, and, uh, this company, which is b- basically a, a startup company, um, and that I was recruited to, to be part of the kind of like the, the founding team. Um, the premise was that, okay, we don't have, um, the means to go up in space yet. So therefore we're going to create like different types of analog terrestrial types of like space activities from watching shuttle launches to, uh, doing astronomy type of, of, uh, of activities kind of like on earth to prepare, um, people who are like interested in space. Uh, and so we thought that actually we thought that suborbital flights, so suborbital meaning uh, just going up and then coming back down, uh, would be the first um, um, kind of like uh, available activity f- uh, for space and, and for pa- for passengers. But uh, th- during that time, uh, the International Space Station was also kind of like p- pretty new. Um, and uh, the only vehicles that could get you up there is the space shuttle and the Soyuz. Uh, so the, the, the Soyuz has basically three seats. And normally what happens is that every six months you have to swap the, uh, the astronauts and the cosmonauts that are staying on, on the ISS. And uh, with the Soyuz, they normally need only like two uh, astronauts that, uh, that's getting swapped. So there's a third seat, uh, that then became available, um, with the prices right, uh, for, uh, a paying passenger to actually go. So that's sort of, um, where Eric Anderson, who, 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 um, who was the CEO of, of Space, um, Adventures at that time, he was the one who kind of like thought, well, if we can broker the deal for the Russians, um, to sell it to, um, you know, millionaires and, 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 uh, those that, that can actually afford it, then, then this is a viable business. So that's sort of like actually what happened. And, um, between 2001 to 2009, there's about seven people, um, who have gone up. Uh, the first person was Dennis Tito, uh, who was actually an ex-NASA um, uh, employee. And there's several others. So for example, Charles Simone, who is one of the Microsoft uh, founders, he even went twice um, because he, he, he liked it so much. Um, and the price is about between 20 to $50 million. So that's sort of like uh, where, where everything happened. And then... Um, on the tail of that, uh, also the same person, um, Peter Demandes, uh, also founded the X Price Foundation. So the X Price Foundation is this. Um, well, he started out with a competition for the fir- very first space um, company to actually develop and launch a fully private um, spacecraft to go up in space and then come back in two weeks' time. And so Spaceship One um, uh, in 2004 actually won that competition. So that sort of started 
the suborbital space industry because during th that time as well, there were, I think, about 20 plus teams of suborbital uh, companies, startup companies, who were trying to vie for, uh, who were vying for the prize and were developing suborbital That's um, right. yeah. vehicles, which then became, yeah, which then became the inspiration for, uh, you know, like Blue Origin now um, and, uh, and of course, a spaceship one. Uh, but yeah, um, space tourism certainly has happened um, for quite a while. But then, just you know, go, going fa fast forward to this year, and there's about nine people that has gone up that are well, you can potentially consider space tourists uh, because they're not career um, uh, astronauts um, that have gone up um, just starting from July. So we're kind of, I think, on an inflection point here, uh, even just for the segment of space tourism. And I think we're, we're going to see um, a lot more uh, happening in the next few months. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's an incredibly exciting time in, in history from uh, that uh, space tourism uh, perspective. And, you know, I'm really, really curious what will what will come out of it. But certainly uh, the figures that you were mentioning around sort of, you know, 25 to 50 million to get into uh, into space uh, just a few years ago. And obviously there's, uh, you know, that whole picture is uh, is starting to change, to, you know, depending obviously on on whether it's a sort of, you know, suborbital, um, you know, a trip like with uh, with Virgin uh, Galactic, uh, you know, et cetera, um, or, or whether it's actually, uh, you know, going up into into orbit, uh, as we saw with, um, with yeah. SpaceX. Uh, but yeah, certainly a, a, a really interesting time time ahead. Now, um, you you wrote a book. Um, I think uh, was maybe about uh, you know ten years ago about um, space tourism. I think you know before too many people were were probably giving it uh, it too much uh, too much attention. Tell us a, a little bit mm -hmm. of, about that. Yeah, so this was about between 2009 to 2011. Um, the, the name of the book is Realizing Tomorrow, The Path to Private Space Flight. And uh, it's really a social history of, uh, of the, kind of like the development of private space flight and highlighting uh, those kind of like unsung heroes that were actually part of the, uh, the, the whole uh, history of how we kind of like got here. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's interesting that the, you know, uh, private space has been around as well since like the sixties. And it's just that, uh, it's kind of like crawling along. Um, and even when I ended the, the book, which was around, yeah, around 2010, um, SpaceX and Elon Musk, I think he, he, um, he had his first successful rocket uh launch at that time and it was pretty much a question mark um because for one um Elon you know didn't come from a traditional like space background and the space industry at least at that time the the community is very um it's still very small um and he, uh, he's just like an unknown um uh, you know, some people think that he's crazy because, like, you know, uh, even uh, people from the traditional space world w was saying that he's, he's crazy to start a company when most people have failed. Um, and so at that point, 
uh, yeah, I was basically um, uh, at, at the end of that book, uh, I was ba basically saying that if he actually becomes successful uh, with this, this is going to be a big game changer uh, and a disruptor uh, and will open up sort of new space as, as it should be, the commercial space that will then, uh, I think, jumpstart um, us from a linear path to like an exponential one which I think is, is already what you're seeing and what's happening the, the last five years. I, I mean, agree. for me, the yeah, first time definitely. I saw like back in 2018, like, yeah, um, you know, like reusable rockets. I mean, that was a holy grail before. Like that, that was something that people think, no, that's not never going to happen. And um, in 2018, you know, looking to see two um, Falcon rockets got, coming back down on the pad uh, is just like, pretty amazing um so it's 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 an exciting time right now it's yeah it certainly is and yeah i think you were you were you know spot on with uh you know with with your thinking around uh um elon and um you know it's it's uh just you know incredible looking at the last few years um you know certainly what spacex has achieved um but you know uh, really i think there's a there's a lot of companies you know realistically and of course you know we hear about uh those that uh, that that attract the most attention uh here in new zealand of course uh peter beck and the, and the team at uh, at rocket lab um have certainly been capt capturing um you know a lot of attention uh, both locally and uh and globally um but there's so much more isn't there to um to the the, the space industry um can you maybe sort of walk us through how you see that the the, the sector as a whole has uh evolved and and grown over the last uh, few years because looking at australia looking at new zealand you know both countries are, are generating you know billions of dollars in um in export revenue around uh the 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 field of new space um, and and some people probably don't know even know what new space is. So maybe you could walk us through uh, a little bit of of your observations as to as to how things have have changed and um, you know what new space is all about. Yeah, that's a really great question um, because yeah, as you said, yeah, for one, you know the the space industry today. I mean, it's no longer just rockets and rocket ships now. Because it is the the kind of the the most uh, visual and and the most like exciting to kind of like uh, look at. People always gravitate to that, and and so therefore they think that that's just what it is. Um, but I definitely see the you know the whole space industry as as a whole kind of like uh, uh, a bigger uh, thing where. So if you act, if you look at the global uh, space economy, um, seventy five percent of that is applications and and uh, specifically um, on the satellite space kind of like industry, um, and that also mimics. Uh, I, I think about two years ago, um, the uh, the New Zealand Space Agency put out a report on kind of like the the space economy uh in in New Zealand there's and um the the number is like about 1.7 billion i'm sure that's that's now 
um, much bigger, you know, after after two years. And and again, the same way uh, you'd think that Rocket Lab would have a big chunk of that 1.7 billion, but actually not. the The bigger chunk is on the applications side um, of things. Um, so, which means that um, the barriers to entry for the industry is now much much lower because if it's applications, all you need really is a Wi-Fi and a computer and the, and the and a way to analyze kind of like data. And data today, um, it used to be you'd have to buy. Of course, there, it's you still have to buy um, with certain. Uh, commercial uh, companies, but at the same time, government agents from all around the world are are actually giving satellite data for free right now. Um, and then the the tools uh, that um, that you need to analyze the data used to be also in the tens of thousands of dollars uh, that you would have to kind of subscribe to a platform. But today, uh, those analytical tools are also open source and they're free. So again, like I would say that, yeah, if you have Wi-Fi and a, and a computer and and kind of like the aptitude to learn uh, how to analyze, you can be kind of like part of the industry. The other thing to to note as well is that um, if we believe that the future of humanity um, is really tied to kind of like our expansion, um, kind of like either off planet. Uh, then all of those terrestrial industries have an analog in space. So if 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 you're if you're for example if you're part of less the of space agriculture, that has analogs um, in space uh, as well, and you're you're just like continuing along the technology in extreme environments. So uh, everything from infrastructure, habitats, architecture, uh, medicine. Um, these are all just the same um, kind of sub uh, areas that there are opportunities to develop technology uh, and then also to develop businesses and services uh, in, in, in the space industry. So which is why I think uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for everyone, not just for space engineers or aerospace engineers. You can be a you can be a lawyer. You can be a um, you know an architect. Uh, you can be a biologist, um, and you can be part of the, the the space industry as we kind of like as we go um, and and expand. Yeah, there there seem to be so many new opportunities uh, opening up for those that are interested in becoming involved in uh, in, in space, which is is great and. Uh, it, you know, it is fairly uh, broad. Now, I'm just interested in drilling down a, a little bit into uh, some of the opportunities that you see space um, bringing to us, because there's there's been a bit of a pushback uh, with some of the sort of space tourism and and uh, you know during this uh, window of time. Uh, currently, where there's there's a huge focus on on how we uh, address issues around climate change, uh, how we you know solve some of the world's problems, and uh, you know Bill Gates was um, you know was was uh, given some you know some coverage in in the last few days, um, 
and you know i guess sort of you know challenging a a a little bit of this sort of thinking of you know billionaires wanting to uh, shoot themselves off to to other planets um when hey we we have you know local uh you know or or, you know uh things here on planet earth that we need to be uh we need to be working on um and probably you know many people don't necessarily know um you know how space helps us but you know we're so reliant today you know every single day whether it's it's gps um you know i think uh you you mentioned before we started uh that you're using starlink for you know for this call so uh you know this, this video uh your voice is coming to us um you know via 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 um you know space and so um you know this is the new world and uh you know i i find it you know just incredible uh the the new things that it opens up and uh you know just these uh leo or, or low earth orbit uh satellites and and the opportunities they create and just how quickly actually um you know new technology is is um is able to come about um in space as the cost uh to put satellites up uh, just you know seems to uh, seems to keep uh coming down and uh you know i think of of you know challenges that we've seen um, you know, I think in, in, in every country, uh, with those who are you know outside of normal uh, internet coverage, and uh, in the past it was it was very very limited. Satellite uh, communications was you know was certainly a key to be able to uh, link them to the rest of the world, but it was very limited. Um, you know, huge sort of delays and in, in, in voice communications. Uh, not really so good for video, uh, and now you know here he, here we are with Starlink and other competitors, uh, you know, lining up behind um, SpaceX to to deliver. Uh, but there must be other areas, I'm sure, that have caught your attention uh, and uh, and and excite you in terms of um, the things that um, um, all these activities are, uh, are facilitating or, or expecting to facilitate in in the future. Any that you'd be happy to share share with us yeah yeah and um and maybe just to add uh, uh on the starlink um thing which is really exciting um especially yeah as, as you mentioned we're, we're using it like right right now and um this this uh kind of like this service which like if you're in a city, of course you you know you've got fiber and 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 there's other um, opportunities um, for uh, getting internet in a fast way. But this really opens up, you know, the 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 rest of the world, which is like right now. I think there's there's about three to four billion that are connected at the moment. But what happens to you know the the kind of like the other half of the world? Uh, that's actually not connected. And sometimes um, some of these areas are not connected because it's just um, the infrastructure to actually get either roads or like fiber or or, um, or connectivity is, is just too insurmountable. Um, and so therefore the, the opportunity of being able to have, uh, you know, uh, this kits of 
of um, that you can actually just like uh, have anywhere in isolated areas is a game changer for a lot of these communities um, that have never been or have never had this opportunity. Just imagine how education uh, changes in this kind of like really remote and rural areas um, in in different um, kind of like parts of the world. So I, I'm I'm really um, excited about like how that um, that will kind of like change um, as well the opportunities for for those countries. So I just wanted to kind of like um, uh, emphasize that. But uh, in terms of as you mentioned, um, yeah, there's a lot of um, of kind of like criticism. Um, because the, the, the thing that is really so visible are, are kind of like billionaires going up and, 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 and going, doing launches. Um, but at the same time, uh, as I'm, as I, as again, uh, we talk about the satellite space in, uh, uh, kind of like segment of, of, of the industry where this is all looking down and, and this is, uh, is basically, uh, all of the sensors that are being developed um, today that uh, are helping in many different aspects of, and challenges uh, that that are that are happening today. So one thing that uh, actually for us um, um, that we're working on uh, this year uh, is that um, we're doing a, a space for planet Earth challenge. Um, this is a competition for. Uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia, and the Pacific Islands for university and um, and secondary school students as well as startups, and it's leveraging satellite data uh, to address some of the the challenges that kind of like that we have for um, for climate change. And uh, for us, we've actually focused on carbon sequestration and coral health. So, it, like for example, with carbon sequestration, we all know that global warming. Um, uh, is basically um, kind of like uh, caused by all of these uh, uh, greenhouse gases that are um, uh, in the atmosphere and, and uh, basically one of the things to, uh, the best way to kind of uh, capture uh, is through carbon sequestration by biomass, so meaning uh, uh, forest and um, like native bush and so forth. Uh, but, and, and so if we can, we, we can quantify and measure it better. Um, and right now, it's also still a big question mark for other, um, other biomass like, you know, wetlands, uh, seagrass, and, and, and different things. Then we can potentially have better ways of, you know, incentivizing, for example, carbon credits um, uh, for, for either New Zealand or for, for Australia. So that's like one, one uh, thing that we're kind of like looking at. Um, the other is that coral reefs, for example, is definitely the health of coral reefs is a big indicator of ocean warming uh, as well as ocean acidification. Um, and so if, if you can better quantify that as well, uh, then uh, it's also uh, better for preserving. Uh, and so the other um, problem area of the, the challenge is um, also how can you measure um, uh, better uh, uh, the coral health um, in regions uh, because uh, again sometimes it's hard to distinguish whether a live coral is alive or is that if it's if it's dead and it actually has algae and so forth 
Um, so that's kind of uh, one of the things that uh, we're certainly working on at the moment. And if you're interested in uh, in participating, the the end of the the proposal uh, is uh, at the end of the month. Um, and just go to spaceforearth.org. So that's kind of like one one area. Uh, last year, we also um, um, contributed to running another uh, uh, kind of like a sprint. Uh, which is called Data Quest, and it was focusing on wildfires. So in Australia, um, as well, of, uh, of course, um, if you can um, mitigate by uh, knowing and understanding more how wildfire spreads um, and uh, also how you can manage wildfire using satellite data, that's another um, kind of like tool that is really, really important kind of like to the region. So th that's another uh, thing that um, satellite data um, in, um, in cooperation with like AI and machine learning uh, will definitely advance sort of like our management um, of that. There are also satellites that are, um, you know, Earth observing satellites that are kind of like um, looking at illegal things that are happening um, in um, kind of like in, in the oceans. And so, for example, um, uh, there are the the uh, kind of like the, the shipping uh, traffic around uh, like globally is being monitored by satellites. Uh, the fishing kind of like fleet is being monitored by satellites. And so if there are uh, kind of uh, activities that look suspicious or not kind of like within the norm, uh, satellites can actually detect those and understand and see where, you know, piracy or illegal fishing is, is kind of like happening um, uh, around the world and, and now. And, and now that also that we got so many Earth observing satellites um, and, and with, for, for example, the constellation planet, they can, uh, they can image sort of the entire world every day uh, now. And so therefore, uh, they, can, um, they can find all of those illegal activities very easily now from, um, you know, illegal logging uh, in, in the Amazon uh, to just looking at the devastation that's happening um, either through industrial waste and so forth. Um, and then again, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, if you want to know what the weather is, I mean, uh, what, what uh, you know, you, you go look at your phone um, and we wouldn't have that information if we had no satellites today. Um, and so, yeah, um, these are a lot, there's a lot of things that we depend on every single day uh, because of, of space technology and we just take it for granted. Uh, because they're kind of like almost not visible and uh, kind of like you just think that they're the norm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, a, yeah, you're a hundred percent right there. And uh, you know, it is interesting that as new technologies, new innovations come along, um, we so quickly take them for granted and we, we often, uh, you know, lack giving any recognition to uh, those that have worked so hard over an extended period to, um, you know, to come up with these things. And, uh, and yeah, when, when, uh, when, we, when we look at space, um, I don't think that um, you know, a lot of us 
really fully recognise how much uh, we rely on satellites for uh, for so many things today. And uh, yeah, some some great examples there. These these are really important things. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about um, sp- the space for uh, Planet Earth Challenge. Uh, always very interested to see um, you know what. Uh, new ideas and innovations come through when uh, um, you know when you you create those opportunities for uh, uh, for innovation to happen happen um, for for creativity and you know of course the the technology has been moving at a at a rapid pace and you know the things that we're we're now taking for granted like the you know the the reusable rockets and uh and and so on um yeah these things have come about in a, in a very very recent um you know times and uh, and now it's just you know it's just the norm it's yeah. uh, uh you know it's funny i was uh, enc- encouraging my son to watch um uh, uh spacex uh, launch the the other day and uh, you know it was it was so funny so oh, i don't need to watch Watch that you know that that's nothing new sort of thing um and uh yeah these things are just just becoming so uh so commonplace uh which is amazing so um you know where to from here what, what you know why is it that uh that you've uh, you've decided to to base yourself um you know here in new zealand what sort of uh you know vision and and view uh do you have for the space industry uh in this part of the world what uh, what are the what are the things that uh, uh, that you see going forward Emmeline yeah so yeah it's interesting because we we kind of like we, we talk about you know a sustainable uh, space ecosystem and there are elements for for having a a, a sustainable space ecosystem and and New Zealand actually ticks all of the boxes um, if you kind of like uh, compare it to other places sort of like around the world. And uh, that kind of like means that, um, you know, for one, you've got a really progressive uh, government here that really caters to um, the success of like the space uh, industry, which uh, which I think is, is fantastic, um, coupled with its kind of like environmental uh, values uh, uh, as well and, and the sustainability um, focus, uh, which, which is great. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that now that you know rocket lab also is here it means that um you know it's it's a space faring nation uh it's one of the i guess uh, 11 countries that can now um um uh, launch uh, to space so therefore you've got the infrastructure um and then also uh, just location wise it's really ideal for um you know polar orbiting uh launches which is sort of the bulk of of um the satellite launches kind of like today and th- then there exists also um uh, already an existing entrepreneurial and educational um kind of like ecosystem that will help uh, the the industry uh, grow as well um but I think one of the the most important thing uh, I, I think that I, I I really love is this so is the Kiwi mentality for innovation, um, entrepreneurship, and um, uh, ingenuity. So um, uh, f- for me, I I think the uh, this notion of the number eight wire um, and uh, and just the 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 penchant for um, trying out like impossible things. 
uh, it's really kind of, I think it's inherent in, um, in the culture, which is super fantastic. Because I, I mean, I only see this sort of like, for example, in Silicon Valley, uh, where it's just like one part, while in New Zealand, it's, it's really the entire kind of like nation. So I think uh, all of those kind of like contributes to why I can actually see, even just from the time that we, uh, we arrived here in 2017, and it's been four years kind of like now, where I see all of this um, development that has happened and also the, the startup companies that are actually um, happening. Um, I normally have a, you know, I have a, a presentation chart where I, I kind of like show all of the startup companies that are popping up uh, kind of like all over the country. And they're not just, you know, it's not just another uh, satellite company or it's just another rocket company. They're actually uh, very, uh, very much like a pioneer in them in themselves, and the technology that they're developing could be disruptors uh, in the future if they, if they become successful. So I actually see a lot of really great um, things that could happen um, uh, in New Zealand. Uh, so, which is sort of like one of the reasons why we 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 picked to kind of like uh, be here because it does have all of those elements. And as I mentioned, going back to, to my, my, my personal goal of making sure that the rest of the world actually um, uh, have the benefit and the opportunity um, to, to be part of the, the, the global industry, I want to be able to share kind of the lessons learned of what we're trying to do here uh, to the rest of the the world who also would want to have uh, a thriving ecosystem um, uh, for kind of like for the future. Fantastic. Well, it's uh, it's fantastic to uh, have you here in New Zealand. Um, maybe before we finish up, you can um, just tell us a, a, a little bit uh, about Space Base and um you know why people should uh visit the website and uh what sort of resources are there to be found yeah as i mentioned uh we came to new zealand four years ago under the edmund hillary uh program um and with the notion of the democratization of space and so this is kind of like the genesis of incorporating space base uh here uh, space base is a social enterprise um really uh to um, grow the space ecosystem. And we've been doing that through education, entrepreneurship, uh, and then community building as well. So on the education side, um, we've, you know, we've given like over a hundred presentations kind of all over the country doing outreach from primary to tertiary, uh, um, uh, kind of like education. Uh, but we've also created like a training program um, and a workshop where if a region or a city would want to be interested in seeing and how to assess um, becoming part of the industry, uh, that's something that, that uh, we're interested in, in working uh, with, with those like stakeholders. Um, we've been, uh, we've been delivering um, space competitions uh, with partners uh, since 2018, so this is the third time that uh, we're we're doing one with the with the space for, for planet Earth challenge. Uh, we've been mentoring startups as well um, here uh, and and also abroad. Uh, and then on for our um, our um, our community building kind of like uh, efforts through our consulting service. 
we also do due diligence for um, for investment firms. Uh, we uh, consult for local uh, government on um, basically business attraction uh, to strategy uh, as well. Um, and uh, we do kind of like a lot of uh, different things. We we created the New Zealand Aerospace Directory. So yeah, if if you're um, if you're part of the the industry, would love to have you in the directory um, as well. Um, I also do a monthly podcast um, to kind of like inspire the next generation uh, and uh, also see what other um, kind of like space pathways uh, for for students and, and new uh, entrepreneurs. So it's at uh, spacebase.buzzsprout.com. Um, and there's right. also a light version of that um, that workshop that I was um, uh, talking about earlier on on the assessment, which is on Thinkific. That uh, uh, sorry, spacebase.thinkific.com. Um, okay. Uh, as well. So yeah, the website is uh, spacebase.co. That's and, brilliant. Uh, That's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, would be a, a great tip with you. Well, thank you so much, Emmeline. I know there is so much more that we could uh, we could delve uh, into with you. You you have so much uh, knowledge on uh, on this on the space industry, uh, but it's, it's has been a real privilege to hear from you today. Uh, and we'll look forward to uh, next time. Uh, thanks everybody for uh, joining us, for uh, for listening in, and uh, uh, and for those that have uh, that watched the video. Uh, it's been really appreciated to have you uh, joining us. Um, you can find uh, the show. Uh, we are engineeringdreams.space uh, is the organisation behind this uh, this show uh, and the podcast, and uh, that is also the URL to the website. Um, so. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for joining us, and thanks again, Emmeline. Thank you, and kia ora.